Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. Okay, everybody, welcome back to this episode. I have with me um, Duana Welch, and she is the author of a book called Love Factually, um, where she has talked about and brought in social science into the art, uh, air quotes around that, the art of dating and relationship issues. Uh, she's been a professor at universities in Florida, California, and Texas over the span of 20 years. Uh, she's contributed to NPR, PBS, Psychology Today, and a lot of other outlets. She's been on other podcasts and videos. And her first book, Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps from I Wish to I Do, is now available in five languages. And she's written several follow-up books, including a bite-sized book series um, that she has uh, that's geared towards, you know, a lot of different topics and subject matter. Um, And so what she does is she provides a science base to this very soft topic of love (laughs) and dating. And, um, and I have her on today because I wanted to talk about something that I love to hate, which is online dating. (laughs) So welcome to the show today. Thank you so much. I love to hate it too. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I, I know there are some people that have had and found wonderful relationships through online dating. And I can think of, you know, a handful of examples where, you know, they got nothing but success out of the whole process. Personally, for me, I've dabbled in it over the years. And every time I do, I regret it the instant I post a profile and I start getting messages and I just am like, no, I'm, you know, I'm out. Um, And so I, again, I know that there are some people that really feel like, you know, it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like real dating. You're not really meeting people through the process. And I, I can get that. I think some of us are just kind of an old school thought that, Um, you know, to get to know people is something that, you know, should be done face-to-face, eye-to-eye. And of course, there's some truth to that. But um, I think the mechanics of online dating just feel so, um, uh, so, I don't know, I don't want to say disingenuous, but I just, I can't seem to grasp, like, I want to say exactly what I want, what I'm looking for. And I would find that most of the time, nobody even read the profile. They saw, they looked at the pictures and decided, you know, who I was and whether or not I was dateable based on the photos that you put up there and didn't even bother reading it. And that frustrates me. And so then I would just sign off, you know, within a few days of, of logging back in. So I am actually interested in hearing from you how somebody who's had bad experiences can actually get something better out of the online dating process for them that, you know, hopefully actually makes better fits and alignment. Um, and so this is a genuine, genuine excitement here, but, but before we get there, how did you get into the field of becoming a dating expert? You know, what was your journey to, to deciding that that was your niche and that was your, your gift to offer everybody? Oh, I sucked at dating. That's basically how this started. I was in graduate school, or as I used to call it, gradual school, getting my <laughs> PhD in psychology. And it occurred to me that after this one particular breakup, um, I didn't function very well in dating, even though I functioned very well in the rest of my life. And I just thought, what gives? You know, why can't I figure this out? All these other people seem to be lucky. They seem to be having a good time. Why is it not working for me? Why hasn't anybody studied this? And then it turned, it, it occurred to me, you know what? I bet somebody has studied it. You're not in that field. You're not in that niche. So you don't know. But what if you looked into it? And I started looking into it. And, you know, there were decades of science on how people date and relate and especially in the most recent decades when I started looking and right up until now, there are actually courses you can take at colleges. Now there are textbooks called intimate relationships. There have been human sexuality textbooks for a long time, but more recently intimate relationships textbooks. So this is a huge field. As it happens, I started learning the information to improve my own love life. It worked. 
And then clients started approaching me and eventually uh, it turned into a book and a series of books and it's my life now and I love it. I love helping people get love and I hear what you're saying about online dating. I, you know, I think maybe a good place to start is just acknowledging the frustrations. I, I'm fascinated that science has recently found that when we name our emotions, they have less power over us. Mm-hmm. I was actually just reading something about that today too, that, um, you know, like being aware of triggers that once you are aware that you're triggered, it changes the trigger. Like it changes the state of it. It changes. It's like the next steps and its power and its control. And I think I, you know, I, you know, and so I, that, that lends to what you're saying right there is that when you suddenly have definition you know, now you see it, right? Like, as opposed to it just being inside of you bubbling up around, now it's a thing that you can put a finger on because you've been able to, you know, put a name on it. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I've had to learn to, to acknowledge names like frustration and anger, you know, and actually get used to how often I actually feel those <laughs> by saying them out loud. Um, so with, with, with online dating, um, you know, is it, is it for everybody though? I mean, I guess there's that one thing, like I've, I feel like for me, it may not be my way of going into the world to see and meet people. Um, because I noticed one of the things that, you know, you actually address that I've read in, you know, the other relationship love books and stuff like that is the, the, um, attachment, right. Our attachment styles and how they lend into, um, our partnering or coupling with other people in our responsiveness to other people. And I often wonder out loud whether or not, um, because, you know, through my attachment style, it is avoidant, you know, I'm the, uh, you know, the avoidant type. And so there's something about the online dating that I think actually triggers that part of, you know, of my attachment tendency, um, in some way that I'm just like, oh, this feels like it's too much work. You know, um, like I don't want the, you know, the back and forth, you know, emotional work here of trying to get to know somebody, but, but is that true? Like does online dating work for everybody or are there people that, you know, probably will never find any satisfaction with it. And I'm not asking for justification of my choice. I'm just, that's a genuine question. Oh, I I love what you said. Uh, There are a few really important points. Perhaps the two best in that are we do have an attachment style, which is our habitual way of relating to another partner in a romantic relationship. And it interacts with everything we do, online dating and everything we do in an intimate partnership. There is no one strategy or technique that works for everyone. Online dating, meeting face-to-face, arranged marriage, there's nothing that works for absolutely everyone. That said, I think almost everyone can benefit from some form of online dating some form of it. Tinder is very different from match. They're very different beasts. They have different purposes. Match was created to help people find a lasting partnership or at least a long-term relationship. You know, if long-term is a few months, at least that. Tinder was not created for that purpose originally. So, you know, it was literally a game. It was created as a hookup game. That's what it was for. (laughs) So I... I am not too long ago single again. And um, as soon as I announced this on Facebook, I got a note from somebody I'd known a long time ago who said, hey, congratulations on being single. I found that my 40s and 50s uh, were, were slash are the best time of my whole life. And I said, really, why is that? And he said, because of Tinder. And I said, really, why is that? And he said, because... I get to hook up all the time. I mean, you know, to him, it was just like this endless feast. Mm-hmm. And he was calling, by the way, to ask if I would like to be flown to him and his wife in San Francisco to have a threesome. I politely declined. If that's your jam, cool, not mine. Anyway, I will tell you the following about people who tend to do the best online. So people can assess for themselves. You'll tend to do the best online if A, you have a secure attachment style, but that's just because secure attachers tend to have the easiest time generally. People whose natural way of interacting with a prospective romantic partner or a long-term romantic partner, if their way of, of interacting is secure, that means that they expect the best. Their natural tendency is to believe that relationships work and that they are satisfying and that they're trustworthy. And wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) And by the way, I want to let you know if that's not you, anybody out there listening to this, if that's not you and you want to change it, you can't. And I'm even going to tell you in one sentence, the easiest way to change it, get with someone secure Mm -hmm. right there. 
get with someone secure four words that will transform your life if you want to. Not everybody wants to. If you're perfectly happy the way things are, brava, I'm happy for you. Okay, so secure people are going to find it the easiest just because they find everything the least daunting. Uh, second rule of thumb, you'll find it the easier if you're not easily grossed out. You're going to meet some people who don't match your standards of appropriate behavior if you meet them online. It's just gonna happen. There's a certain ick factor there. And if you can treat it like water off a duck's back, which I'm gonna teach you how to do here in a minute, then you're gonna do really well online because the icky people, the, you, you won't feel like you got slimed to use a really old movie reference. So you'll be just fine if you can think, well, of course that happens, I'm, I'm online, this is, this is what occurs. If on the other hand, you act as if the lid has been peeled off of the, the nastiness of humanity and you'll never get the ick off you ever again after one bad encounter, probably online dating is not for you. <laughs> And I'm laughing because that's sometimes like it's an instant like nope done. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I laugh because I understand that that statement right there. So okay, continue. <laughs> sure. You'll do best at online dating if you would describe yourself as persistent, as someone who has fortitude, as someone who never gives up. Now, what's interesting about this is this brings me to something that I learned about you and something you've said today. I mean which is I learned about you. You've been incredibly persistent in your professional life. You've been so successful. And at the same time, online dating is so off-putting to you that sometimes in a matter of just hours or days, you're like, nope, I'm done here. Our work here is done. We're leaving now. And so what I would encourage people to do is if you are naturally persistent in an area of your life, you would never, for example, give up on your children or you're very persistent at work, I encourage you to borrow some of that faith and that behavior and that attitude and apply it to online dating. One thing we know for sure from decades of science is that it's not just true that our attitudes predict what we do. It's true that what we do changes how we feel. Mm -hmm. And that's great news because I got to tell you, you're a morning person. I'm not. If I waited to, to get up until I feel like getting up, we'd be waiting a long time. But every day I get up and the moment I'm up, I feel like being up. The behavior predicts the attitude for me, not the other way around. And all of us can do that. You can feel like being online after. Another quality of people who succeed at online dating is simply that they expect that this will be challenging and they expect that it won't necessarily all be fun. That's really helpful. You know, we, we know when we're looking for a job that a job search pretty much sucks. We know that there are going to be interviews that maybe we won't enjoy. We know that there'll be days at our job when we think, ah, I really hate this job. And yet very few people say, well, working's just not for me. We, mm -hmm. we know that it's going to be a challenge. Now, what if your job had the capacity to not only increase your income and increase the trajectory, the trajectory of your career, but also to globally increase your happiness, immerse you deeper, more deeply in your community, make you feel better about yourself. Ha healthy relationships actually have been proven in study after study to improve every aspect of life except how good looking you are. So I was asking my boyfriend last night, I said, I'm gonna tell you something that I used to bring up when I was teaching college. I taught for 20 years. And every class I taught ultimately was a relationship science class because we don't get any training in that. So I thought, screw it. I'm just going to, I, I'm going to put examples of relationship science through this entire semester, even though ostensibly it's social psych or it's intro psych or it's developmental psych or it's research methods. My examples are going to be about relationship science. So one of the questions that someone wrote to me at my blog once, I, I had a blog for several years that became my books, um, was... I've got a wager with someone and they say that single people get it on the most. And I say that married people do who's right. And so I used to ask my students and I asked my boyfriend last night, my boyfriend guessed it right. My students never did. And it's married people, your odds of being celibate, meaning you have not gotten laid in an entire friggin' year or non friggin' year. <laughs> you <it laughs> not happened. Your odds of being celibate. If you're single are 20%. Your odds of being celibate if you are married are very close to zero. Now, there is one group that gets it on slightly more often than married people, and that's cohabitors. That's for a couple reasons. Number one, if you're cohabiting and you're not having sex, we call it roommates. 
Okay, so there are no, yeah, yeah, we no longer call that, you know, in other words, there are married people who have a sexless relationship. We still acknowledge that they're married, but if you're cohabiting, we don't acknowledge that relationship anymore. If there's not sex, sexual activity isn't happening. So that's one reason why cohabitors come out slightly ahead. Another reason is every relationship in the beginning that is sexual tends to be, ha have the most sexual activity front loaded. And that's because sex is not just for procreation with people. I would argue the science uh, builds up to a strong conclusion that sexuality for people is actually rarely about procreation. It's mostly about bonding. Mm -hmm. mostly, it's mostly about creating and sustaining a, a long-term relationship. And so you have sex a whole lot at the beginning. Well, cohabitors tend to either, it's either up or out. You either formalize that into marriage usually, or you break up. So we don't have a ton of people who've cohabited for a really long time. And therefore they're all at the front load part of their relationship. When you get rid of that, you find similar levels of sexual activity, but you find more satisfaction among the married people. Anyway, how did I get off on this? I don't know. <laughs> Going back we to talking about relationship, you, you were talking yeah. to your boyfriend about this and, and getting back to this question um, because of trying to like validate the, the value of a relationship to people, you know, and why the that's right. That it's is. worth yeah. it. That, it, that it's yeah. worth. Thank you so much. That's worth the effort that you're putting in. It really is worth it. And keeping, starting with the end result in mind is important. But another thing that's really important is celebrating your small victories along the way. For example, when my son was little and he's 19 now and grown out of the house, but when he was little, I did not, I did not reward A's on his report card because I'm a developmental psychologist. That's actually what my PhD is in. I knew that what leads to A's is keeping a calendar where you say, this is the day I'm gonna work on this assignment, not just when it's due, but what work you're gonna do on the assignment each day. I taught him how to do that. And I taught him how to you know, put a check mark next to or a line through all the things he had actually done. And I taught him to get that done first thing when he got home from school and then play and watch TV and do whatever else he was going to do and um, how to organize small daily victories into a larger victory. And we celebrated the small daily victories and the larger victory came of its own accord because he had done the little things that's successful online daters. And I would argue successful daters period. They are able to celebrate their progress, not their perfection. That's what they're able to do. And so instead of saying, well, I met five people, but I still haven't met the one. When, when earlier in our time today, I mean, when you said, um, you know, some people had nothing but success online. Nobody's had nothing but success online. You know, I know the end result and you probably didn't even mean it that way, but the end result looks, oh, you know, a third of the people who've met in the last 10 years, I think it's more than a third of people who've met in the last 10 years who got married met online. That's really high. I mean, I was surprised by mm -hmm. that. So it's, it's actually a super successful way to meet people, but you know, by definition, no matter how you date, they're all the wrong one until there's right one. Right. I mean, it's true. <laughs> you've got it. There's I've had people say, okay, Dwayna, I've hired you. And now all I want you to do for me, just this one small thing, mind you is, make it where I meet the right one the first time and it all works out. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I would love that. If I could do that, I'd do it for everybody, but I can't do that. Nobody can do that. There's going to be some amount of meeting people, but I will tell you this. So <laughs> I wanted to be dating during pandemic and I knew I was going to date online. And there are some people who need to date online. If you, for example, work from home, that would be me probably it's going to be a good plan for you to date online. <laughs> and so, and, and there, and you can also become your own matchmaker and meet people in real life. I've written a short book about that. I've written a short book about online dating. Um, and my love factually single series, if, if you get curious to look it up, but I knew that I was going to, I had a plan and I worked that plan and I met, I did not, people who say it's a numbers game, it's not a numbers game. It's not a numbers game. If you know what you have to have, and this is another factor in doing really well at online dating, you know what you must have. 
you write your ad about them, not about you in terms of what you must have. Make it funny. I write people's ads all the time. It's my favorite thing that I do. Make it funny, make it relatable, but make sure also that it captures the spirit, the essence and the details of who you have to have. And then when you encounter someone who doesn't match a must have, must have is not pass fail people. It's not, oh, they got 70%, we're good. Must have is must have. It means every item that's a must have. If this person was perfect, but they lacked one must have, just this one thing, you know in your heart of hearts the deal is broken, then you have to move on no matter how sexy and appealing they are. Unfortunately, we have this mythology that if we're attracted to this person, that love will overcome all. It doesn't, otherwise we wouldn't have divorce court. Really and truly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, we're not in an arranged marriage culture. We were all hot for each other pretty much when we signed on the dotted line. If that's what it took, there wouldn't be divorce. So know what you must have, write your ad about what you must have and unflinchingly, unfailingly stick to it. And of course I have the job that I have. I've been doing this for a long time now. So as you might expect, I was clear in a way this time that I've never been before. And so what I did is I, I knew it wasn't a numbers game. I knew it was about the quality of the person, not how many people I met, but writing an ad that was so specific that the men who read it thought either not screw it, I'm out or, oh my God, my picture's practically under that ad. Mm -hmm. I wound up talking to 12 men on the phone. I met four in person. This is all six feet apart on a hike because it's pandemic. I did that very intentionally. I don't, my goal was to only hold hands with one person ever again, ever. I went out with one of them a second time. We've been together half a year. Hmm. I, and I, I love all of that. And I know that, and as I was sitting here thinking about, you know, those must haves, I know my experience has been, and I think this is worthwhile sharing is that, you know, you have a list and then you test it. And like, you know, I, you know, I have this science background like you do and, you know, knowledge and stuff like that. So it's like the, you know, we're, we're talking about the hype, you know, the, um, the scientific method here. I have a hypothesis of what my must haves are. So now I'm going to go out and test those must haves. And then you, you bring in, I know this sounds so clinical as a way to dating, but this is kind of how I've had to deal with this. Like in the last several years of going through this growth journey that I've been on is like, I have to do better at, at knowing uh, myself, my behavior when I'm in situations of dating, because, you know, I used to be the person who adapted to the person across the table because I didn't want to be rejected. So that if I, you know, if I needed to be sexier, I was sexier. If I needed to be, you know, dumbed down, I dumbed down. I mean, whatever it was in order to get the yes. And so, and I was, a, I was good at that. Like I was very good at that. Obviously that didn't end well for me because that meant that, you know, I was capitulating and sometimes in very bad situations with people because I was bending too much and I wasn't my, my authentic self. So then you fast forward therapy, you know, a few years of, of, of like intentional celibacy, um, of like detoxing from the, the past life that I knew about relationships and then came back in and was like, okay, this is what I think I need. Like, you know, and so you make this list, go out, test it, and then realize, wow, no, that's actually not. And you go back to the list. And I think I'm sharing this because I want people to realize that the must-haves may be something that we have to actually be willing to test and then say, no, that's not it. And it doesn't mean, like, I had to come up with, like, I don't think I'm wrong here. I'm just getting very focused in more and more about what actually matters on my mental health and my mental well-being and my, um, my connection with somebody else. Um, because I know that for a bit, you know, I thought that, you know, my must haves was this nice 10 items and this person checked off 10 items on the list, but then in the contact and the meeting and hanging out, I realized there were other parts that were like, oh man, I, I need this on my list too. And I was, and I was stuck on my first 10, but, but, but they hit all these other tens and realized that I had like an 11 and a 12 <laughs> and that maybe one and two weren't really the, and I reshifted the priority and I had to, I had to like get out, you know, and give myself the ability to be able to do that because I was, you know, like I said, those must haves. And so I, again, I wanted to throw that out there, like must haves probably change and they should like, you know, so I came back to me feeling like I still had to, uh, I was still negotiating what I really wanted too much. Like I was showing up and feeling like 
my test is my chest is tightening right now thinking about it. Like, you know, that's one of my triggers, my trauma responses. It's like, okay, I'm someplace that I still don't feel like this is the right fit for me. And, um, and I'm bending too much. I'm stretching too much into this to make it work air quotes around that. Um, I have to just acknowledge that our personalities just may be too different, that this just isn't a, a good fit. Cause I think that sometimes people think that if you can't get two people to work together, they're not trying hard enough at figuring out one another. And I kind of came back with like, I just don't think that all of us are meant to be together. Like is there effort? Is there a perfect match? No, you know, there is no perfect match, but there's gotta be some band, you know, the Delta between it can't be so great that one person's working too hard to make up those differences there. And I know that that's just kind of like, that's not even a question. That's just a statement out there, but you know, what are some of the thoughts that you have about, about that, you know, on our must haves being something that actually change over time. It may not be something we know right away until we date and test them. I think you have several really important points there. One of them is when you're across the table from that other person, their job is to decide whether you match their standards. Your job is not to pretzel yourself into matching them. Their job is to determine, do you already match them? And it's so tempting if, if for people who have a non-secure attachment style, which was me for a long, long time, for people who have a non-secure style, if, if your natural response to dating is to feel like maybe if this other person really knew me, they wouldn't like me. Maybe they won't love me as much as I love them. Maybe relationships are just inherently threatening. If your experiences have led you to feel that way, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It means you've had some really unfortunate experiences. And the tendency, if that's happened to you, the tendency and, and again, this was me for a very long time. The tendency is to go into dating asking the wrong question, which is, am I good enough for them? Really, that's their job to figure out if you're a good enough fit for them. I don't mean if you're a good enough person, but if you're a good enough fit, because most of the time when we are rejected or when we reject someone, it's not because the other person's a heinous, horrible human being. It's because whatever the fit is, is not there for one or both of us. That's what it is. So, you know, that, that can also help people do deal with online dating and with re the rejection, with rejecting other people is this doesn't have to be that personal. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to mean anything deep and dark about who you are, or who they are. It could just be that the fit isn't quite where it needs to be. And, you know, maybe one adjustment that a person could make going into these situations where you're basically having an almost blind date with somebody or a Zoom or a phone call or what have you is, hey, I'm going to get the best story out of this that I possibly can for later in case this doesn't work out. Because usually it doesn't work out, but just have good stories. I've got wonderful stories and I enjoy them. <laughs> and so one point is go into your date asking the question, is this person who I need? They'll determine if I'm who they need. I'm going to be my authentic self and I'm going to ask, is this person who I need? Not, not, a, not am I who they need? And second part is you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a living document. It changes throughout your lifespan. I encourage people. I've had a version of this document. I still have one. I love to go back and look through old versions that I have saved and see how my document has changed over the years. And in fact, I, part of how I knew that, my marriage to Vic, who I write so lovingly about in my books. And, and I mean everything I say about him, but part of the way that I knew that our relationship really was over is I looked back at my must-haves and wants and realized he couldn't get a date with me. If we met again, he couldn't get a date with me. And that's because he was drinking heavily, which didn't start till several years into our marriage, but that's a deal breaker for me. And it always has been. And, and it didn't change and wouldn't change and couldn't change. And okay. You know, I mean, it was painful, but, um, my document then changed some more when I realized I was going to be separating and divorcing and, um, and moving on. And I realized, okay, now I'm ready to move on. And i redid my document. That document changed from what it had been before. The important thing about the document is that it's as close to your truth as you can get in this moment. Not that it is at your final culminating truth in life. That's always happening. We are constantly, uh, you know, unless we're dead at 18 and buried at 80, which unfortunately happens. If you're a person who's interested in growth, and I've just got to guess most people listening to a podcast like this are all about the growth. Unless you're a person who's just not devoted to that, you are always growing and changing. 
And so one way to make this process easier of knowing what you have to have versus what you merely want is think about relationships you've been in. Think about what worked. You know that moment when you're going to break up with somebody, but it's really hard to do because they have 80 things that you love. <laughs> yeah, right. Like here's the 10 things and they hit those. Ah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you feel They've bad. Got, like <laughs> You feel terrible. Like, oh my gosh, what if I never find anyone like this again? I would point out that you're breaking up with them for a legit reason. You're probably not just capriciously throwing, th- throwing somebody out. There are people who do that, but not most people. And so trust yourself and understand that I want everybody to learn a lot more about secure attachment styles, because when you know how secure people see the world, you can try to see the world the way that they do. And one of the key things about secure attachers is while they sincerely mourn the end of a relationship, they know that they will not be alone forever unless they want to be. They know that even if the 10 things were there, there will be another person with those 10 things and they will have some different things. Mm-hmm. They know that good people are not actually in short supply. How about that for a thought? Good people are not in short supply. Right. Which is tough for people with trauma histories. I mean, that's, you know, a bulk of the people that are listening here. And I, and I, I, I don't know if you have different information on this, on what the breakdown is, but from what I have understood and seen that, you know, maybe half the world you know, has some sort of a secure attachment style. And then the other half are broken up in the other different versions of anxious, fearful, avoidant, dismissive, avoidant, you know? Um, And so there are a lot of people, but I do know that like my own mindset, because of the, just the population that I grew up around the people in my life on the day-to-day, the people that I constantly still, you know, brought in into my life and, and sought out because I was recreating, you know, the, the dynamics of everything the belief was, is that there aren't a lot of good people out there that what we have to do in life is learn how to adapt with all the bad people and just make it work. And it was like very like, up, you know, uplifting to come out of this and go, no, I don't actually have to stay over here in this world, swirling myself around with this type of a, you know, these type of people that there are, I have to have faith and believe that there are actually out there people that aren't going to cheat on me. They aren't going to try to manipulate me. They're not going to try to abuse me. They're not going to, you know, abandon me or ignore me or whatever. Like there are, there are a whole world of people that don't do that to other people, you know, and to be conscious about believing that, you know? Um, So I, I, I totally agree. Like, and I think that, but there are people with trauma that just cannot fathom that there's this whole other life, (laughs) you know, world of people that actually exist out there that are like that. And you can't be faulted for feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Why would you feel a different way? Feeling a right. different way is going to involve making a conscious shift because obviously experience is our first and our, our most influential teacher. And if what you've experienced has been a lot of trauma, then it's going to be natural and, and expected that you would think this is just how the world is. Mm-hmm. And I think the movie, maybe it's as good as it gets. They talk about, you know, somewhere there are happy families having picnics with potato salad, but that's nobody in this car. You know, (laughs) if, if that's your experience that, you know, that somewhere that's happening, but it's not likely for you, a couple reactions to that. First of all, it is a sad truth that abusers look for people with the history of trauma to abuse further. They, so in a way, your idea that there are a lot of bad people out there and they're looking for me. Well, there is some truth to that. That truth is not your destiny. I want to acknowledge the truth though, because a I'm a person of science and I'm not here to, you know, blow sunshine up anybody's hindquarters. And B, if you know that, if you know, they're looking for you, you can learn a new way of vetting people. And I know you and I are going to do a future podcast about avoiding abusers before they abuse you. How about that? Mm -hmm. But one of the things is if you have any history of trauma, you have to learn all the signs of what I call pains, pre-abuse indicators, learn all of them so that you're prepared. So that the very first moment that somebody shows you one of these, you are in the parlance of my youth off like a progress. You're just gone. Okay. So that's one reaction to, um, but what if somebody has trauma? 
Another reaction to it is between 60 and 70% of populations of different parts of the world have a secure attachment style and secure attachers are, are the anti-abusers. What I'm saying is if you yourself don't have a secure attachment style, learn what secure attachment looks like and stop dating anybody who doesn't have that because secure attachers will treat you like platinum encrusted in diamonds and rubies and sapphires and emeralds. They will, you, they will give you the kind of relationship that you don't believe is possible. Your work then will be to believe that you deserve it. Mm -hmm. I have known a number of people, you know, I mean, uh, most people who approach me and work with me, they don't do it because everything's going great. I work with a lot of people who have survived and are still surviving serious trauma. And I don't ask people to change their attitude. I ask them to change their behavior and their attitude will follow. It's very challenging for many people who have been victimized, abused, to accept being loved, to allow themselves to be loved. And that's part of the work that I wind up doing with people is, okay, look at this beautiful castle that you've been offered. And here's the key. And they're terrified to walk through the door. I don't deserve this beautiful castle. I don't deserve this key. You know what? That is, I'm going to coin a new word for you right here. You heard it here first. This is science for you. Overcomerable. <laughs> you, can overcome, you can overcome that. You can, you can do it. Mm -hmm. Well, so do you think that probably lends itself in it since we're talking about online dating, which is this, uh, you know, this vulnerability of then, you know, exposing yourself to the world out there, you know, the scariness of it and why there, there can be this fear or this, let's just say, you know, I'll, I'll admit this, you know, I can go back a couple of years, you know, to a profile where I wrote a profile that just made me completely undateable because it was just, it was direct. It was the, you know, I'm no bullshit. This is not what I'm going to tolerate. I mean, I, I even, I laugh about it because I was like, yeah, I'm making sure that if anybody penetrates these walls, that they are not afraid, <laughs> you know, kind of, but it's like, you know what I got out of that? I got guys that felt like that was a challenge and that that's what their job was, was to come in and beat me up and soften me. And, you know, and I was just like, okay, God, why? And again, I signed off and like, you know, threw it away and just went on. Um, but I, you know, I sat there and I acknowledged it's like, okay, if this is what you think you need to put out into the world, you're still feeling a little bit like you're not ready for this or you don't want this, or, you know, um, you know, going through the, the motions of relationship because that's what everybody does. And like you said, you know, there is the benefit of, you know, being in a healthy relationship has profound impacts on our lives and our well being and our longevity and, you know, and security. Um, and so sometimes, I think people feel like they have to go get a relationship because it's what society tells them to do. Um, and so, you know, I felt like I did it, but yet I didn't really want to, you know, so then I made it so that it was, I was definitely going to get nothing or, you know, get people that were just going to fulfill my prophecy, which is I, I can't find anybody here um, that, you know, I want to date or, you know, deal with and stuff like that. So I set, I set dating up to fail, like consciously and unconsciously there. So how do we overcome that if what we, we really want is this relationship and we don't want to self-sabotage while we're doing it, um, you know, and it starts with a profile, um, you know, what should a profile look like? You know, you said the must-haves are, are one part of it. And to be funny, is there anything else that, you know, needs to be considered? Because that is your, that is your like sign you're putting up open for business, <laughs> you know, out there. Um, that gets us the best, you know, I, I guess maybe that's me again, over trying to overpower the situation. I want the best results. I want fewer mess ups, but I think we've just been talking about, we have to expect the mess ups, right? <laughs> we have to expect some, you know, when you stop looking at it as a numbers game and you start looking at it as, as your ability to stand in your power of what, you know, you need to have and must have, and to, not even go on a first date with people who show you that they don't have that, you know, you're done. As soon as somebody shows you, they don't have what you want, but at the same time, balance that with the attitude that the world has many good people in it who are not right for me. And it's some that are right for me. And I'm going to keep my heart open enough to see whether a given individual is right for me. And I, I will do it fairly quickly. It doesn't take that long to do it once you know what you're doing. It really doesn't. 
so many good points that you made. One is a lot of people self-sabotage when we, when we don't have the feeling that the universe is a safe place. And again, trauma creates that feeling that it's not. When, when we don't have that feeling, it can become extremely tempting to do things that amount to a big chip on my shoulder. See this chip on my shoulder? I dare you knock it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a big poster on the behind that's like a proverbial chip on my shoulder, right? The here. rebel girl. Yeah, in the video. So I mean, yeah, no, I know I walk around with that sometimes. So anyways, go ahead. <laughs> well, so so you know, and and I will bet that the the rebel girl kind of thing about you is part of your charm. What I'm saying about the the profile is you're not gonna post your must-haves on your profile, you're going to make a profile that incorporates in a humorous way, some of your must have so you can screen from the start, you're going to try to describe this person that you would like to meet and start a relationship with maybe have a life with. And it's very important to put it in positive language of what you do want, instead of negative language of what you don't want. Secure people, and if if you don't have a secure, if you again, if if dating feels scary to you, you need a secure partner that needs to be on your must haves list and secure people are very put off by anything that smacks of look life has been crap you're probably crap too prove me wrong <laughs> and so because you know these are the prover- proverbial nice guys who you know they haven't hurt you and and they're like what the heck where did that come from and and they want somebody who's open to being treated well, and they don't read that kind of ad that way. So one thing I can tell you that I do with all my clients is I help them give a lot of detail before we do any profile writing. I get to know them and what their must-haves are and get as much detail as I can about, okay, if you say you want somebody with integrity, what does that mean to you? Because to some people, it means they do what they say when they say they will do it. And to other people, it means something totally different. And so I, I will ask for details. And then we will come up with an example, a way to put that in the profile. But I don't let them say stuff like, in my case, my initial draft would say, um, not an addict, not an alcoholic. Well, what am I thinking about right now? If I say not a brown bear, not a polar bear, I'm thinking about brown bears and polar bears right now. Your brain focuses on what you give it and it, it fails to process the word not. So your list has to say what you want, not what you're trying to avoid. So my list said, drink socially and responsibly, colon, up to one to two drinks a week. That's it. Now I know exactly. I've operationalized the variables to use the parlance of experimental psych. And I know exactly what I'm looking for. And that is my bar. Now I know. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, I, <laughs> now I know what I have to have. So, uh, you know, I put in my own ad something along the lines of, cause I wrote my ad as if I were um, a casting director for a rom-com and I was looking for the male lead. And it said something along the lines of um, drinks rarely to never, drinks rarely or never and abstains from all other drug use like our heroine, our future heroes high on life. That's very positive. Nobody would really get the idea from that, that I had a problem with drugs or alcohol, that I've been married to not one, but two people who had problems with drugs and alcohol. Nobody, you know, it's, it's upbeat, it's positive, And yet I'm screening. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's beautiful about this kind of an ad is <clears throat> at the bottom, you're going to make some kind of statement about how, you know, your, this ad is available for X period of time only, which I strongly encourage you to do. Create a scarcity mentality. Give yourself a deadline. It'll keep you engaged for that one month. Do one month, take a month off. Do one month, take a month off. And then really take your profile and your credit card and everything down from wherever this site is. Because I want them to treat you like a brand new person when you show up again. I don't want them to treat you like a returning person that's just, ah, maybe we'll occasionally show her to other people, but maybe not. I want you to be the it girl, the new girl every time. Hmm. So um, at the bottom, you say something like, this offer is good for the next 30 days. All good fit replies will be answered. If you're interested in this position, please respond with your qualifications in detail. Looking forward to hearing from you. Something like that. 
And then, you know, I've, I've done all different kind permutations of, of this kind of idea. But then when somebody writes to you, they're very likely to answer if they are serious about if they're excited about you and they feel like you just described them, they're going to answer as if, as if they had their picture underneath that ad. And again, mm -hmm. I only got a few responses, a dozen in that month that I was online. I was online for a month and I met the fellow that I'm crazy about six days later. Now he wants me to tell all of you, it took him three and a half years, but he, <laughs> but he's, he's not a science-based relationship coach and author. So, you know, it, it takes a little longer if, if you have less information, it, but that's what, that's kind of the point we're making here, right? Is if you have more information, you get better results and you get them more quickly. And, mm -hmm. and so, um, out of, out of the 12 people that I wound up talking to, you know, it was very clear because I teach people how to ask the hard questions right up front, but in a non-threatening, non-aggressive way. Because honestly, people, I know we tell, I know what people tell themselves. They tell, because I've done this work for so long and because I'm a person and I've told myself the same kind of stuff, which is, oh, I'll ask that later. Right now, it would, it would seem, you know, desperate. Or I'll ask that later. Right now, I'm just having fun. Or I'll ask that later when it makes more sense. No, ask it right friggin' now. And you know why? Because if you ask it later, the stakes are too high. Ask now. Mm -hmm. So if I, if I didn't like somebody, I wouldn't even bother asking the tough questions because one of the questions I want to know is, do I like you? So if I clearly don't like you at all, then we just don't talk again. But let's say that I really, really like a person. Well, now I need to ask some questions because you know what happens if you really like someone and you just think, I'm just having fun. I'll ask that later. Well, you can fall in love with the wrong person. The mythology that love is rare and you only fall in love with people who are right for you. Again, where would our divorce rate be if that was true? Right. Ask the hard questions first. So I remember um, when my boyfriend and I had our first phone call, I said toward the end, I told him I really liked him. I really was enjoying getting to know him. And I, to the extent I knew him, I really liked him. And by the way, if that seems, those of you who've actually read my work, and there may be some people listening to this who already have, that may really surprise you that I said that because um, hard to get is a real phenomenon and men do respond to it. I'm not, and I'm talking about being, not playing. In other words, have some self-esteem. And if you don't have it, fake having self-esteem. Hard to get is not about manipulating people. It's about showing a man that you can live without him because you have enough going on, you have enough self-esteem and it works. So I'm not gonna be apologetic about that. I can't be more clear than that. But it doesn't mean hiding how you feel. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean being aloof. It doesn't mean being bitchy. It just means don't be clingy. Mm -hmm. But I, when I liked a person, I would say, I like you because I'm gonna give you a, a big trade secret right now. The number one thing any of us, and this is scientifically proven, the number one thing any of us, no matter how we look, no matter our age, no matter our orientation, be it gender or, or sexual orientation, no matter what, <clears throat> the number one thing any of us can do that attracts somebody to us is tell them that we like them. Don't hide that light under the bushel basket. Let it shine. So I really liked him. I mean, I just thought he was so interesting and seemed to have so much of what I was looking for. He had depth. He was intelligent. He was funny. He had character, just a solid, decent human being. I could feel the security hitting me from 96 miles away. Just great. And so toward the end of the call, I said, um, you know what? I actually really like you. I, I think, you know, I think you're just great. And so because of that, I don't think it makes a lot of sense to get in real deep with somebody where we just see life very, very differently. You know, people can and do get in deep with people that they shouldn't because they see life too differently. So I said, I've got a pretty serious question for you. And he said, what? And by the way, you should always ask your questions because it doesn't matter how you ask them. Don't say, so do you want to get married? That sounds like you proposed, but you can say, I'm looking for a life where you know, there's a long-term relationship with potential for marriage. And if that's not you, I get it, but we're probably not a great fit. You can say that. And then that's not personal. That's just about your goals. And that's how I encourage people to ask these questions and frame these things. Well, so what I said was, I live in X town. You live in a whole different city. We're 96 miles apart, but who's counting? Um, I love where I live. I could move, but I really don't want to. 
And so if this were to work out, what would be your take on moving where I live? Now, I didn't just ask him to move where I live. I asked him about his openness to the concept if it worked out. Secure people won't be phased by this. Mm-hmm. So there's a, I'm gonna tell a real quick story and I know we have to wrap up. Yep. There's, a frog, there's a frog called a gladiator frog and the males are the ones that guard the eggs and the females will choose a mate by in part by choosing the one that is unflappable. And so what the female does to find out, is this guy a scaredy cat who's just gonna run away at the first sign of danger and leave my fertility, my, my chance at evolutionary immortality in the dust? She leaps up behind him and just bumps the crap out of him. She just bumps him really hard. I want you to view your questions like, like you're the female gladiator frog and you're bumping the male. And if he flinches, you just move on. You That's just great. move on. Go ahead yeah. and bump them. Ask the hard questions. Look, you're meeting a lot of people. You don't have to, if this one isn't right, another one will be. Have the confidence. And if you don't have it right now, just borrow my faith. And that's where I'll stop. Cool. Oh my gosh. We can just keep going on. <laughs> this is good stuff. Um, well, so then, uh, because we can't, um, we do have a hard stop here on the show and I don't want to leave anybody hanging here. Um, talk a bit about how people can learn more because you, 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 you do coaching. You've already said that you, you know, help people out with the profile and you've got the book. So please, um, how does everybody find you um, once they hit stop on this podcast episode and they hit the links in my podcast notes? Absolutely. Please go to lovefactually with an F dot co, not dot com dot co, love factually.co. You will see links to lots of free stuff about all my books and you will see a get coaching tab. And that leads you to my other website that has my blog and it has information about me and my practice. And it has a tab that lets you ask me anything you want, which I will answer for free. <laughs> That's awesome. And I got to tell you, um, you know, you, some of your ideas in here are pretty interesting. The idea of actually putting a time limit on it, it's fascinating. Um, you know, the, you know, kind of shifting the mindset about it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hating this idea, you know, right now I still have to ask myself whether or not the time, you know, cause relationships do take time. You have to commit resources to it in order to make it work. They don't just happen. So there's effort and, you know, and so for me, it's like, am I at a place in my life where that's a resource I want to build into, you know, what I'm already working on and stuff like that. And I don't know yet, but I do like the, I do love that idea of like putting it in, taking it off and then starting fresh over again. I think that that actually helps, um, you know, especially for people, you know, for like me, who is like, oh, I just can't drag this on out forever, you know, have it going on. It, it gives it a nice milestone to reward success and to learn from um, before moving on. So I think that's fantastic. Um, well, Duena, this has been amazing. I am looking forward to talking to you more and having you back on the show. And so if you guys caught that, uh, Duena does have a lot of really good insights on how, helping to prevent ourselves from getting into an abusive relationship with somebody. Again, I think that's very important because like we touched on trauma is behind sometimes some of our dating fears and some of the, the mistakes that we, we make and the, um, uh, either with the picking the partner or like you even mentioned, and I, I feel that in my chest as times too, um, you know, knowing that there's a world of really amazing people out there. Sometimes I have to deal with my own self-worth you know, am I a person deserving of that? I feel intimidated sometimes when I'm around and I call them better people because I don't feel like I'm good enough. And I've had to deal with that emotional struggle many times. And so I get all that. And so I think that'll be another really good topic for us to, to consider on. So thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. It has been my great pleasure. I'm looking forward to being back on the show. Awesome. Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiqueerconey.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurkoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.